Amram Joyner tonight. He is um, the minister for the Missouri uh, City Church of Christ. He has been there since 2004. At the very beginning of his ministry there, he was the associate minister. But since 2010, he has been the preaching minister. Before that, from uh, 2003 to about 2004, he was the preaching minister at the Wooden Boulevard Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. He is newly married. One year. Welcome to the club, brother. Welcome to the club. He is, uh, he is a gifted uh, intellect. Uh, when I received his, uh, his Vita, one of the things I noticed that he has a lot of, of uh, graduate work and uh, showed this to Barry and uh, said, hey, he's one of us. He is a nerd when it comes to biblical languages. And so we are really, really fortunate to have a guy that has his dedication, his, uh, his training, and his passion for the Lord to come and to speak to us. He's going to be speaking to us about the church in Ephesus. He has got some slides that he's going to show us as well. Does everybody have the, uh, the handout it's a multi-page handout. I, I, I really hand out the handouts, which are one page. He's handing you a book. So does everybody have one? Do we have some extras? Everybody has one? Okay. Brother, come up here and uh, speak to us. Let us all say amen. amen. Truly, it's a blessing to be in a house of God to uh, study another portion of the Word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Paul told Timothy to study, to show thyself approved unto God a workman. Am I not on? All right. Let there be juice. No, there you go. That's right. Testing, testing. One, two, and three. Can you hear me now? Let's move this up a little bit higher. All right, finally, my brethren, (laughs) as I was saying in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, the Apostle Paul told the young man Timothy to study, to show himself approved on the God of workmen that needed not be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. The word study there carries, well, rightly divide, the word rightly divide carries the idea of stone masonry or that of a carpenter. In other words, uh, it's our jobs as students of the Word of God to properly dissect the Word of God so that we can feed uh, the people of God. I'm a stickler when it comes to exegesis. I believe in speaking where the Bible speaks and being silent where the Bible is silent. Amen. I want to uh, thank your minister, Mark. He and I were playing phone tag all uh, day long today. And finally, we made contact one with another very nice uh, gentle and humble man, I appreciate you uh, on today. Also, uh, your elder, I believe it's Brother Brown, who um, uh, asked me to come. I appreciate uh, him giving me an opportunity to stand before the people of God to say something on behalf of God. Also, uh, the, the family, I'm going to call their name. I'm sure I'm going to butcher the last name, but uh, please forgive me uh, at the end of service. Amen. Uh, Ty, is it why? Watasi, y'all stand up. Y'all know who I. Yeah, go ahead. This is. Uh, we appreciate you all uh, on tonight. Of course, her daughter, or their daughter, worships with me at the Missouri City Church of Christ, and I know it was through her. That's part of the reason why I'm here on tonight. I want to thank you all for seeing something uh, inside of me. 
And now uh, to uh, our handout, we don't have much time, as you can say, I have plenty of information. One thing about biblical languages, when you study biblical languages and whatnot, you're really taught to dig, 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 dig. You dig so much to where you, you don't have enough time to present the information that you've come to discover through uh, your research. But nevertheless, we're going to approach this text and see if we can do, uh, gain some nuggets from the Word of God. Of course, uh, I'm dealing with family, the family structure as it relates to the book of Ephesians. And before I get into the actual text, I want to give up some background information on the book of Ephesians, as well as the city of Ephesus during the time of the Apostle uh, Paul. So everyone should have a handout uh, before them. If not, just get close to someone and y'all share one with another. And if uh, you're having issues, you know, remember that commercial double mint gum? Get a little closer. Don't be shy. So if you feel like you need some, <laughs> y'all with me? Okay. All right. <laughs> y'all got it. Okay. Let's start. Interesting information about the city of Ephesus and the church. Ephesus was a city of the Roman province of Asia, near the mouth of the Castor River, three miles from the western coast of Asia Minor and opposite the island of Samos. Ephesus was mostly, most easily accessible, the most easily accessible city in Asia, both by land and sea. It had an artificial harbor, ex, uh, artificial harbor, I'm sorry, accessible to the largest ships and rivaling the harbor of Miletus, standing at the entrance of the valley which reaches far into the interior of Asia Minor and connected by highways with the chief cities of the province. Its location therefore favored its religious, political, and commercial development and presented a most advantageous field for the missionary labors of the Apostle Paul. It was the city of Ephesus that the Temple of Diana resided, and it's to this temple that its great wealth and prominence rather, are largely due. In 356 B.C., on the very night in which Alexander the Great was born, it was burned. And when he grew, grew to manhood, he offered to rebuild it at his own expense if his name might be inscribed upon its portals. However, the priests of Ephesus were unwilling to permit, and they politely rejected his offer by saying that it was not fitting for one god to build a temple on behalf of another. The wealthy Ephesians themselves undertook its re reconstruction, and in 220 years, uh, passed before it was finally uh, completed. Paul first visited the city on his second missionary journey in Acts chapter 18 verses 19 through 21 and again on his third missionary journey, Acts chapter 19 verse 8 through uh, uh, rather Acts chapter 20 and verse number 31. He remained there for two years preaching in a synagogue uh, in a school of Tyrannus and in private houses. Though Paul was probably not the first to bring Christianity to Ephesus, for Jews had long lived there, he was the first to make progress against the worship of Diana. As the fame of his teachings was carried by the pilgrims to their distant homes, his influence extended to every part of Asia Minor. In time, uh, in time the pilgrims, uh, with, the cre with the increasing faith in Diana, came fewer and fewer in numbers. The sales of the shrines of the goddess fell off, off, and Diana of the Ephesus was no longer great. A Christian church was founded there and flourished 
and one of its first leaders was the Apostle John. Now, background information as relates to the book of Ephesus. Understand, number one, that it was written uh, by the Apostle Paul between uh, A.D. 60, A.D. 62. The purpose for this letter, Paul, uh, he was writing to encourage and to admonish uh, his, the, the believers there. It was written to remind believers of the immeasurable blessings in Christ Jesus and not only to be thankful for those blessings but to live in a manner worthy of them. Now, uh, I'm going to move uh, in a little bit. I'm just reading off all of this uh, stuff off the paper. But understand this. When we look at the book of Ephesians as a whole, we must understand that it can be divided into two major sections. You have chapters 1 through 3 in which Paul deals with doctrine. Then there's chapters 4, 5, and 6 in which Paul deals with behavior. Understand when it comes to Paul's theology, Paul always shows the theology of God before he shows what God expects uh, from us. When you read the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11, Paul lays down a whole bunch of theological facts as it relates to what God has done for us. And then when you get to chapter 12, now he starts encouraging those Jews to live in such a way that demonstrates their love for what God did uh, in which he showed in the previous uh, verses. So, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul deals with doctrine. He shows these believers everything in which God has done on their behalf. In verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who had blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Verse 4, he said God chose us. Verse 5, God predestinated us. Verse 6, God made us accepted in the beloved. Verse 7, he says we have redemption through his blood, even to forgiveness of our sins. Verses 8 and 9, he said Paul, our God, gave us wisdom and prudence. Verse, verses rather 13 and 14 says we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. So in chapters 1, 2, and 3, he shows them everything God has done for them. Then, when he gets to chapters 4, 5, and 6, now he's dealing with what? Behavior. I just told you all everything God did for you all. Now God expects something in return. Amen? So in other words, Paul says, I'm going to show you what God has done first. And based upon what God has done, I'm commanding you all to respond a certain way. Now, of course, uh, we're dealing with family. And Paul was going to lay down, lay down a lot of theological points as it relates to how the husband is to behave in a family, how the wife is to behave in a family, how the kids are to behave in the family. And everything is predicated on chapters 1, 2, and 3. So every job that Paul uh, commands the husband to do, every job that Paul commands the wife to do, every job that Paul commands the kids to do is predicated upon what God has done in chapters 1, 2, and 3. So what does that mean? Well, if I'm in the role of a husband or the role of a wife or the role of a son or daughter and I feel like I don't want to operate within that role. Well, Paul says the only way you have a right to operate outside that role is to undo what God did in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Okay. Now, if, uh, if you want to say something, just raise your hand and I'll give you the floor. Okay. But <laughs> is that all right? Okay, so, so he, he wants them to understand that everything, he wants them to understand, he wants us to understand that everything we're going to do is based upon what God has done. So if a husband says, I don't want to love my wife, if 
a wife says, I don't want to submit to my husband. Then Paul says, understand God chose you. Right? God sanctified you. God re- redeemed you. God forgave you. God has sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise. And it's based upon those theological truths that you perform the duty God has called you all to perform. All right? Okay. Uh, how am I sounding? Am I doing pretty good? <laughs> okay. Now, uh, now, of course, we're dealing with family. We're dealing with family. Now, the actual context begins at chapter 5, verse 15. But for the sake of time and my subject matter, I'm going to begin at verse number 18. The context starts at 5.15 and it terminates at 6.9. And within those passages of scripture, Paul looks at a number of relationships. The husband and wife within the family. He looks at uh, the kids within the family and the relationship between slave and slave masses. Okay? Now... Uh, do you guys have your Bibles with you? Because we're going to read for just a moment. In Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 18, or uh, verse 18 in the following verse. Someone can read that for us if you don't mind. Ephesians chapter 5, let's start at verse 18 and run through 6, 9, and then we're going to unpack the text. Anybody? Somebody? And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one Now understand, in, in, the, in the KGV version, we have a chapter break, right? Brand new, a chapter break, brand new chapter, but in Paul's theology, in Paul's mind, he's still in the context of family. He's still talking to family, so his, his, his mindset, his, his thought process has not broken, although we see, uh, based upon this translation, that there's a break from chapter 5 and chapter 6. Continue on. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, and with fear and trembling, and the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, mm-hmm. but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Amen. So watch this. Here are the relationships. You have the husband and the wife. 
You also have a relationship as it relates to the kids in a household where there's a, where there's a husband and a wife. But then there's another relationship he talks about, the relationship between slaves and their what? Owners. Now, watch Paul's theology. Chapter 5, verse 18, he says, Be not drunk with what? Wine, wherein is what? Access, but rather what? Filled with the what? Spirit. But filled with the Spirit. Now, of course, uh, these Christians were participating in a, a, a festival, a Greek festival in which uh, uh, Bacchus who was the God of wine. He was the God of wine. So these Christians, God's people, were getting drunk. And after getting drunk, uh, they began to behave a certain way. A way that was not commensurate of those who have accepted the name of Christ. So Paul says, I want you to get drunk, but drunk on something else. I want you to get drunk but drunk on something else. Now, anybody ever been drunk before? Raise your hand so I could. <laughs> but if you've seen someone, now I'm not, I know somebody in here can identify with these Christians, right? But if you ever seen someone drunk, they're intoxicated and they behave a certain way. As a matter of fact, alcohol is called courage juice. You with me? <laughs> it's called courage juice because when one is under the influence of alcohol, he or she behaves a certain way. So Paul says, "Here's what I want you all to do. I want you all to be filled with the Spirit of God." Now there are two verbs in verse 18. I want to focus on the latter one, which is be filled with the Spirit. Do you guys see it? Now let's go back to the handout. We on we had family. The family affairs. Okay, I'm going to go real slow. He says, be filled with the what? Spirit. This is the second verb in this verse. It is imperativo in nature. Following the main verb are four participial phrases. I'm going to explain that. So your main verb is, he says, don't be what? Drunk with what? Wine. That's your main verb. Don't be drunk with wine. Wine. Now, following that main verb are four participial phrases. Here are they. Speaking, singing, giving thanks, and knowing what? Submitting. Now, uh, when I was in school, I would have to analyze those participles, and I would call them resultant participles. In other words, once the action of the main verb is filled, here is... The result. Does that make sense? What's the main verb? Be filled with the what? Spirit. Once I'm filled with the Spirit of God, there are certain things that take place. Number one, he says you speak, you sing, you give thanks, and you do what? You submit. You submit. You submit. Now, that's extremely important because he's about to address the family structure. He's about to address the relationship between slave masters and slave owners. So you want him to understand that what I'm about to say to the husband, what I'm about to say to the wife, what I'm about to say to the kids, the slave, the slave owners, in order for them to implement what I got to say, they must be filled with the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? Okay, so let me say it again. 
Be not drunk with wine, but filled with the what? Spirit. Once I am filled with the Spirit of God. Here is the result. Paul says, you speak, you sing, you give thanks, and you submit one to another. Y'all with me? All right. Good, 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 good. good. Okay. Uh, Okay. Just as wine was influencing these Christians to a certain action, so would the Spirit of God. Interestingly, watch this. Watch Paul's theology. Submitting one to another is the the last mentioned in the list. And rightfully so if we follow Paul's train of thought. He's about to deal with relationships. And and when you talk about relationships, it's all about submitting one to another. I found out recently, I was married last year, July the 12th, and I was, my God, I didn't know that I do this much submitting (laughs) in this relationship. But boy, I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning to lean on Jesus. (laughs) But, 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 But here is my point, here's my point, here's my point. Long before he tells the wife to submit... Long before he tells the husband to love his wife, he tells them as a whole, everyone has to learn how to submit one to another. That verb, uh, submit, is, it's, 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 it's in the middle voice, which means the subject acts upon himself. In other words, each, each child of God is responsible for submitting. I can't push it on the one. I can't force the one. Every child of God must submit for his or her self. So he says, everyone should be submitting one to another. Now he's getting ready to give the wife her instructions as it relates to marriage. Okay, uh, let me see. He's about to deal with, God, with, with godly assigned family roles. And relationships that only a person who is filled by the Spirit of God can accept and deal with in a Christian manner. So it does not matter what kind of family structure you come from. With the Spirit of God, you can not only accept your role, but develop and grow in it. Notice I said develop and grow in what? It. It's a process. Amen. Submitting is a process once you have obeyed the gospel of Christ or once you obey the gospel of Christ you and I don't automatically just fall in the line and get it all together amen it's a process as a matter of fact in chapter 4 when Paul was listing all this when he was saying be uh, 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 chapter 4 he says grieve not the Holy Spirit of God he says uh, be angry and sin not when you look at the Greek construction Oh, the way he constructs those sentences, he was basically condemning actions that were already in progress. So he's saying, stop getting angry and sinning. Stop grieving the Holy Spirit. Stop lying one to another. So what am I saying? Even within the family structure, we fear with the Spirit of God, and Paul commands us to submit one to another. But that does not happen overnight. It's a process. Okay. Uh, Many of us come from families 
that do not resemble the biblical paradigm where the husband was the head, the wife was the help meet, and the kids were kids only. In other words, some of us come from broken families where the husband did not know, does not know his role, the wife does not know her role, and the kids do not know their role either. As a result, the kids observe this interaction and assume it is the proper family structure. So the problem arises when our family structure is not only contrary to the biblical paradigm, but also the difficulties we face trying to readjust to the biblical paradigm. However, it is possible if we, be, if we fulfilled the action of the main verb. Paul says no matter what our family structure may look like, no matter what we have seen growing up, if we are willing to be filled by the Spirit of God, one of the results is this. We're able to submit one to another. Now, I came from a family structure that was not the best family structure in the world. But that's not an excuse for me to take that family model into my own home. Paul says, you have God's Spirit inside of you, Amram. And as a result, God expects something different from you. Does that make sense? Why? Because I may be an influence. I'm intoxicated by the Spirit of God. Any questions, comments, grievances? <laughs> All right, forward march. Okay, in this case, when one is operating under the influence of the Spirit, thus he or she is doing things that the carnal man just cannot do. Intoxicated by the Spirit of God, the Christian is able to submit to God's rule for the family structure. Now, before we address the roles assigned by God to members within the family unit, it is important that we understand that God has established this structure with the purpose of providing order in the family. Every business entity has some type of chain of command in place to ensure the health of the entity. The same is true with the Christian family. I was flying uh, from, I think it was Cancun, back to uh, Houston, Texas, and we had some turbulence in the air, and one of the uh, passengers behind me said, man, I need to get up and go see what's going on with this pilot. I said, no, you don't. I said, that man got authority. I said, you sit right there, you sit right there and you behave yourself. He's been trained. He has the authority to fly this plane. You hadn't been nowhere to nobody's schools in terms of flying planes. You need to stay in your lane. My point was, even on an airplane, there's structure in place. Why? To protect, to protect, to protect when it comes to the Christian family. God has put this in place to maintain, to protect and to maintain the health of that family. That's why it's there. When we leave from here, we're going to see red lights. We're going to see what? Stop signs. All of those things are there, right? To protect, to protect, to protect. So within the family structure, no one should feel inferior. No one should feel intimidated. No one should feel less than a person. Why? We must understand that God has a structure in place. And within that structure, he has assigned roles. Y'all with me? Okay, okay. Notice verse 22. Wives, submit to your husband as unto what? The Lord. 
This is an imperative command given by Paul to all wives. Note that preceding the word wise is the definite article the. Okay? Thus emphasizing a class of women. In other words, this passage applies to every wife. So every woman who is married, who is married, enters into, enters rather, into the role of a what? Wife. And this is why marriage is very important and should not be entered into without proper counsel. As women, you are very special and important and have rights. However, as a wife, you take on a specific role that commands you to be submissive to your husband. Does that make sense? So you say, well, I just don't see myself submitting to no man, regardless of the situation. You put your hands on your hip when you say what you say. And that's fine, but don't get married. Because if you get married, you take upon a role. And within that role, God says, here are your responsibilities. Make sense? Okay. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> uh, where was I? Okay, so what does it mean to submit? Right? Submission can best be viewed in the relationship that existed between Christ as the Son and God as the Father. The biblical witness makes clear that God and Jesus are what? Equal. However, to effectively perform their mission on earth, roles had to be established. Jesus is not greater than God. God is not greater than Jesus. They are equal. But when Jesus came to earth, he took the role as what? Son. And as son, he was submissive to his father. Think about it. They would have got nothing done if they didn't understand their roles. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, let this what? Cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but what? Yours. So within the family structure, God has assigned roles to everyone. And every person must find their role and submit to that role. Now, I'm going to, uh, I'm hoping I can work this particular thing, just to give you guys a basic idea as to what's submissive in, in a secular Greek. By secular Greek, I mean... Everyday Greek, when that word was used, here's places or here's situations in which uh, the word was used. Let me see if I can. Oh, here. Oh, there it is. To affix under, right? For example, in a writing, in some type of writing, the word could mean could have meant or uh, meant rather to to affix under. Give you an example. You see this particular letter here, and at the end you have at the very end you have what John. Though I'm showing you, I'm showing you the idea of what submissive looks like. When we talk about submissive, there's some kind of chain of command. Somebody got to fall in line. Someone has to fall in rank. Make sense? So in the secular Greek, it was used in letters and where the name was affixed at the very end of the letter. So the idea is to submit, to submit, to fall under. Does that make sense? Or not? If not, say no, it doesn't. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, to arrange under, for example, a rubric. So you have category, then you have craftsman, creativity, production, work habits, attitude, right? So you have category, which is your main rubric, your main title, and under that, 
you have different what different categories themselves. That's an idea as to what the word meant. It means to fall up under, to fall up under. Newspaper article, choosing words carefully, right? You have your title. Following the title, you have a whole, you have a whole summary under, to fall up under. So when we talk about the word submit, it means to fall under, to fall under, to fall under. I'm repeating it not because I know what my next thought is. I'm repeating it so that it can sink in, okay? Now, honestly, you, we all have to, be, have to be honest. We all struggle with the word submit. Sometimes it's hard to submit. Amen? Especially, uh, I'm learning a matter of relationship. Praise the mighty name of Jesus. <laughs> All right. Okay, watch this. Okay. Uh, so, so, the same is true in the Christian homes. If the, if the home is to function effectively, the wife must know and perform her role. Note the latter part of this verse. As unto the Lord. In order, to unleash theolog- in order to unleash the theological implication of this phrase, we need to consider the conjunction as, right? The conjunction is uh, comparative in nature, thus acting as a marker introducing the perspective from which the activity is viewed as to function. In other words, the wife submits to the Lord in similar manner she is to submit to her husband. The comparison is not made between wife A and wife B. Y'all with me? Okay. But the Lord and the wife. If a wife wants to know what it means to submit to her husband as unto the Lord, she is to look to her relationship with God. So her first relationship should be with who? God, because it's in submitting to God, she learns what it means to submit to her husband. So, uh, one of my rules of thumb, I'm 36 years old now, and uh, I was at the church four years without being married. I was like, man, it's time for you to get married. It's time for you to get married. You need a wife. You can't preach without a wife. I said, well, I'm going to get there when I get there. Y'all just mind your own business. I said, but I'm looking, <laughs> you know, you got to find somebody who first loved the Lord. Because if she knows how to submit to the Lord, she knows how to submit to who? Me. So Paul says, if you are wife and you want to know what it means to submit to your husband, first look at your relationship with God. Make sense? Okay. I thought it did. <laughs> okay. Uh, where, where, where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Okay. This, this is why it's, it, it's important that the wife have a relationship with God. It is through this relationship she gets an idea of submission. It is with her relationship with God she learns what submission entails. Right? A word to the husband. The concept of submission is being portrayed here and not slavery. Okay? By way of analogy, watch this. I could say, bake me a cake as, as you would your husband. The idea is just as you bake your husband a cake, bake me one. And not bake the cake, and, and not bake the, cake the same size, color, texture, etc. Right? Now, in the former, the stress is on the cake being baked. Whereas, in the latter, the stress is not on necessarily on the cake being baked, but the exactness and technicality of baking the cake. Let me explain that. When Paul says, as unto the Lord, he's given a general precept. In other words, just as you submit to God, you submit to your husband. That does not mean whatever he tells you, you just do. Make sense? Because he can tell you to do some stuff that's just not 
You know, y'all with me? Okay, I'm, I'm going to move past that. Okay. Now, watch this. My time. Watch this. The scripture should not be used by husbands to manipulate their wives into submitting to whatever their heart desires from their spouses. Again, it is important that the wife has a relationship with God. It is through this relationship she comes to understand what, it, what is acceptable and unacceptable submission. How do I know whether or not I'm submitting to my husband? How do I know whether or not what I'm doing is acceptable or unacceptable? Check your relationship with God. So it's important you have a relationship with God so you know what to look for in terms of what is acceptable submission and what is not acceptable uh, submission. How much time do I have? I'm trying to get to uh, some more meat before. Uh, how much? Because I definitely want to respect time. By, about eight, so about 7.52, 53, I need to be shutting it down. That, that's about right. I want to respect the time. I respect the time. Now watch this. Verse 23. For. That's a Hachi clause in Greek. It's given reason. Here is why. The wife is to submit to a husband. For the, because the husband is the what? Is the head. The wife is to submit to her husband because in the marital relationship, God has set the man as the head. Y'all see that? Okay, now, this is not a formula for male dominance, as evident by the absence, listen, of the different article before, before both nouns, husband and head. In the Greek text, the article, T-H-E, is absent uh, it's before the first noun, husband, and the second noun, head. The absence of the article means that Paul is more interested in the quality of the husband as the head of his family and his relationship and responsibility to the family. Let me say it again. He's emphasizing what this husband needs to be. He needs to be a man of God. He needs to be a God man because God has placed a huge responsibility on his shoulder. Now, when I was growing up, when that scripture was used, it was used to beat women all over the head. I'm the head of this house. I'm but a husband. Is the head. That's not what Paul has in mind whatsoever. He is saying, as a husband, God needs a quality man. A man who understands the grave responsibility of being a husband and protecting that family household. Paul is not teaching male dominance by the husband, but, but responsibility. He is putting grave responsibility on a husband as being head. The husband is of such good quality, he is able to protect his family. As a matter of fact, I'll quit here. In the Greek text, the pronoun he precedes the main verb. Now, usually in Greek grammar and syntax, your verb appears first, followed by everything else. But Paul takes the pronoun and he fronts it to emphasize what kind of man Christ was. So it's not emphasizing dominance, but quality. He was such a good man. Here's what he did. Christ gave himself for the what? Church. And the pronoun is fronted to emphasize the kind of man, the kind of husband Jesus Christ is to us. So he's saying to the husbands, you're head, but don't see from the standpoint of I'm in charge, but rather I need to be a man of quality, a man of substance, a God-fearing man, because it's my job to lead this family. Let us pray.
I have a Father, it's through your Son, Jesus Christ, who come at this time. Thank you, Father, for this day in which you have allowed us to see. We thank you for life. We thank you for health, Father. We thank you for strength. We thank you, Father, for this time together. We pray that something was said that we uh, can glean off of, Father, and apply to our lives as relates to family structure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.